0: Well, good morning. I'm glad y'all are here on this Christmas week service. I know we got a lot of people traveling today and out of town for Christmas stuff, and several people are sick. You'll notice we're missing three people off the worship team. Kofelt House was hit hard with sickness, so pray for them. Not fun. And when you see them, thank them for not coming and giving it to all of us right before Christmas. So uh, pray for quick recovery for them Um, and just traveling mercies on everybody that's traveling for Christmas and enjoy your families this week. Remember all the things that you have to be grateful for because you got a lot. We all do. Just the fact that you live in America and you're here this morning and you've got clothes on and you're not sitting out in that cold rain, you're blessed. I got a feeling you're going to have something to eat today and you got somebody in this world that you love we're more blessed than we know we're more blessed than we realize and it's easy to get caught up in keeping up with the Joneses or less who's not here keeping up with the Lyles. right and you think you got to do everything they do I picked somebody that wasn't here I'm going to see if nathan really listens to the podcast or not <laughs> see if he see if he brings this up but it's easy to just start trying to do what everybody else does and and to get sucked into traps of well everybody else is buying this stuff for christmas i gotta buy this stuff and everybody else is decorating like this i gotta decorate like this and none of that's wrong there's nothing wrong with decorating and enjoying your family and there's nothing wrong with buying gifts and and all that stuff But if you let it take the place of God, if you let it stress you out, if you let it worry you, if you let it just because you're following the masses and this is what we're supposed to do, then it robs you of the joy of the season. It robs you of life. Stress and worry, and and it it actually takes away years from your life. Remember, uh, Jesus... I haven't even started the message yet, but... Remember Jesus uh, said that we were like sheep in a bunch of different places, and that's not a compliment? That was pretty much an insult. Okay, like it wasn't like, y'all are my sheep. The sheep were dumb, defenseless, they can't make it. They're like one of the only animals that can't make it on their own in the wild. And uh, what made me think of this was I read a story last week, a true story. Of, I should have wrote it down. I think it was in New Zealand. You can go pull it up on the internet; it'll pop up. Fifteen hundred sheep walked off a cliff, one right after the other, after the other, after the other. I, I can see if you couldn't see good, maybe there was some fog, maybe there was a cliff. But when a couple of your buddies fall off, you stop. Nah, not these. 1,500 of them just keep on. 100 falls off, 200 falls off, 300 falls off, 400. 1,500 sheep followed each other off the cliff. Now, the crazy thing about this is, what I thought was great, the first 400 died. The other 1,100 made it because now they had a bed of 400 sheep to land on. So, 1,100 of them didn't die. The shepherds just went to the bottom of the cliff and collected all them up. So, only the leaders died. That's the good news. Right? And so, now we're like sheep. So, what I'm telling you is don't follow the 1,500 and don't be the leader of the 1,500 because you might die. I don't know why I brought up that story because it was just a cool story. I wanted to tell you that the first four, oh yeah, don't follow everybody else. don't think just because somebody else is spending X amount of dollars on their kid, you got to figure out how to do it and then go into debt and be paying on a credit card for the next three years for, for what? Bless people, buy people presents, love, show people your love. If you love somebody, the first response of love is to give, so it's nothing wrong with giving gifts and presents, but don't be in bondage. Don't let it trap you, because it'll steal your joy. Today, I'm going to talk to you about holiday stress, maybe pig food, and some fig of the looms. I want to talk to you about empathy first, though. I'm going to talk about empathy because I think it's huge. As Christians, we want to look like Jesus and lead like Jesus. So we got to have empathy. I heard about this... husband and wife that were doing some holiday shopping and they were going to all these little stores and they were right beside the mall and then there was a bunch of stores all around the mall and so they were hitting all these stores and they had it was close to christmas so things were crazy and there were crowds everywhere and they got kind of split up and the wife just kept going down the list trying to get things and realized where the heck is he i ain't seen him in an hour So she calls him on his cell phone and said, Hey, where are you? We're supposed to be getting all this Christmas shopping done, and I I haven't even seen you in a while. You just disappeared. Figured you'd catch back up with me, but I don't, I mean, I'm going from store to store. So where are you? And he's like, "Um, Honey, you remember a few years ago that little jewelry store that we were in, and you loved that ring so much. And she said, yeah. He said, remember I told you that, that one day when I had enough money that I was going to buy you that ring? She said, yeah. And she started to tear up a little bit. He said, I'm in the gun store right beside that. <laughs> so that's when the fight started. She got mad, and he couldn't understand why. I was just explaining where I was. I mean, I don't know the address of the gun store, but she knows where the jewelry store was. I, I was just explaining where I was trying to just explain where I'm at. I wonder, she must be psycho, why well, she's going to get all mad and upset about that. She thought that he was so selfish. Of course, it's about something that he wanted. Of course, he wasn't going back to do something sweet for me or remembering a promise he made to me years ago. No, of course, it's something he wanted. He's being selfish. He thought, she's so selfish. She's just mad because it's not about her. It was something I wanted. Both of them thought each other was being selfish. Selfish. It's all about what he wanted. It's all about what she wanted. Neither one of them had empathy. Neither one of them took a minute to think about how the other one felt or put their self in somebody else's shoes. That's what empathy is. The definition of the word is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. Empathy is putting yourself in someone else's shoes. It's what God did when he gave us Jesus. That is empathy. A holy God can't understand sin. He can't understand why you would choose death over life. So he took his son, a part of himself, and placed him in feet, in a human body, to experience it and feel it. And to know what pain feels like, and to know what hurt and loss. Jesus had to go to funerals, Jesus was tempted. And the great, powerful God felt the pain of mortal humans. There is no greater picture of empathy. As Christians, we want to look like Jesus. Then we better learn how to have some empathy. We better learn how to have empathy for other people. Especially the ones that we disagree with. Especially the ones that don't look like us. Especially the ones that are hard to love. That's the ones that matter the most. I mean, it's easy to put myself in somebody else's shoes that's wearing the same shoes and the same size that I wear. The hard part is to put myself in somebody's shoes that I don't agree with. Put myself in somebody's shoes that... Is opposite of me. God did it for us, and then He requires us to do it for other humans. See, I say if your goal is to be like Jesus, if your goal is to connect with other humans on a deep level, if your goal is to lead well. Then let empathy be your superpower. You better get real good at it. A narcissist thinks that everyone who disagrees with them is wrong or bad. You disagree with me, then either you're wrong or you're a bad person. Because I'm right. What I think is right. Know anybody like that? Don't look at them. Don't look at them. Why? Because they have no empathy. They're not willing to put themselves in someone else's situation or say, hey, maybe from their upbringing, maybe from the things that they know, hey, or even maybe I'm wrong. Just Maybe. Just maybe I'm wrong. That's a hard thing for some people to say. I hope I'm not right about everything that I think right now. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) If I'm already right and I already know everything, there's no room for growth. There's no room for me to learn anything else. There's no room for me to grow. And then, without that, you can't be happy. You have to be growing and progressing and learning. And it is part of life. I hope I'm not right about everything. But if I only surround myself with people that think the same things as me and I never say maybe I'm wrong, how will I learn? Just a thought could be wrong. See, you may be right on this thought. (laughs) See, if you're like that, like a narcissist that, that thinks everyone who disagrees with you is wrong or bad, if you're like that, you'll end up alone you'll end up with nobody around you. No real deep, meaningful relationships. Because most of the time, people don't need your opinion. They need your support. It was a relief when I figured that out. It's stressful trying to come up with a good opinion. Especially people... Ask pastors some pretty serious, heavy questions. And I've found that a lot of times they don't need my opinion. They need my support. They need for me to come along beside them and say, I'm going to walk with you. I may not agree with every decision that you've made to get you to this point, but you may not agree with every decision that I've made either. That's what grace looks like. They may not need your opinion. They may just need your support. They need to know that you care. It's easy to hate them. It's hard to hate us. So if I can categorize people to them and them and them and them, it's easy for me to hate them. But if I can take myself and put myself in their shoes and become one and realize that we're brothers and sisters, that we're humans, then it's hard to hate us because I am them. It's us. So what am I going to do? Figure out how to work it out and if they're falling down I'm going to figure out how to get them up and walk them through it because it's us because it's family Jesus prayed dad that they could be one like me and you are one and then the world will know when they become family when it becomes us instead of them In Bruce's book, um, Trust First, we're reading it at Warrior Training. And I read this little part, I think one day last week, probably Monday or something, and and this little part hit me. I was going to read it to you. But in this chapter, Bruce is talking about when they were going to open a men's shelter because there were all these men, and it was going to be 20-something degrees on Christmas. And they were trying to open a men's shelter, but they weren't ready. They had got the building, but... Um, the bed frames didn't, weren't coming in until January and all this stuff, but they had mattresses and they had the building. So him and another guy just went and laid out the mattresses in the floor and plugged in little plug-in heaters all around inside of there and cooked a giant pot of chili. And on Christmas, they went and opened up the doors and tons of homeless men came in and they sat and had the meal and they ate. And, and so Bruce tells the story in the book. But then he wrote this part about how him, a white preacher from Virginia, laid down in the hood amongst drug addicts and homeless men and who knows what kind of criminal records were represented in the room. And he wrote this. The me of just a few years before could not have imagined lying down among a room full of homeless men without fear or discomfort. But now discomfort was beside the point. I was too tired and too focused. As for fear, these men had been a part of my everyday life now long enough that their otherness, while not completely erasable, barely held my notice I slept well because, for those hours, I had stopped thinking of myself as something or someone different from the men surrounding me, eye to eye, foot to foot. We were warm bodies who had congregated for a good meal in a warm place on a cold Christmas night. I love that line, their otherness barely held my notice. It's easy to hate them but not us. That's empathy. I picked out a couple of scriptures that that talk about empathy and really highlight it. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul wrote this letter. 1 Thessalonians 5:14. Now we exhort you, brethren, Warn them that are unruly. Parents, y'all hear that? Warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. So notice what Paul just said right there. Don't treat everybody the same. Right, he said some people you need to warn some people need comfort some people need support now there was one thing he said oh yeah be patient towards everybody patience is something you need to give to everybody this is how Jesus led see a good leader doesn't treat everyone the same just like a good parent What Paul's saying there is some people are in a place in their life where they need to be warned. They need a good, swift kick in the pants. What the heck are you doing, dude? Get up, get going, stop. Some people need to be warned. Hey, if you don't stop doing the things that you're doing, it's going to land you here. But not everybody needs to be warned. If you're the kind of leader that just leads all in one way, then then you're mean and fussing and warning everybody. And every service and every talk is a warning. Because to a hammer, everything's a nail. Oh, what's your problem? I want to help. Bam! That's not what I needed. Yeah, I... Some people need to be warned, but there are other people, they need comfort. That's very different than a warning. Some people need comfort. Some people need support. They're just weak. They don't need to be warned. They don't even need comfort. They just need you to take them out for a meal and laugh. And remind them to breathe. But they just need some support and know somebody cares. He said, have patience with everybody. It's going to feel like everybody's needing different things from you and it's okay. Have patience with everybody. See, this is how Jesus led. So we can look back in the scriptures and we can see that sometimes Jesus was harsh. Sometimes, like you remember that woman that came asking, begging him to heal her daughter and he called her a dog. He said, why would I give the bread to the dogs? He talked to her mean and harshly, but then yet there were other people. The woman caught in the act of adultery, he comforted her. He didn't warn her. It was a comfort to her. He was support when people needed support. A good leader doesn't treat everyone the same. Being a godly leader is not about a moment of intensity. It's more about consistency. Doing what you say you're going to do and being there. What kind of leader are you? We're all leaders. Whether you want to or not, you're, you're leading somebody. So what kind of leader are you? Are you the hammer and everything's the nail and this is how it is and this is what you think a good leader is? is here's what we're doing, follow me. Because that's not a good godly leader. A lot of people think that's a good leader. This is it. My way or the highway here's what we're doing. Not according to Jesus or Paul or we'll go on down the list. Jesus and Paul are the two we're looking at this morning, so I'll stop there. Some people think that a leader should be the least adaptive person. I would rather be what people need. I would rather be so sensitive in the spirit and to God that I would know what each person needs because some people need you to adapt. Some people need you to meet them where they are because they can't get to where you are. Well, I'm leading. You will not follow or not? Probably not. They're not where you are. Being a good leader isn't about what you need to bring. It's about what others need you to bring. They draw it out of you. If you're a good leader, sometimes your people need courage. I say your people, I'm talking about your family, your co-workers, your your world i understand well i'm not a leader cuz i'm not the boss no you're leading you're called to lead whether you are or not and sometimes people need comfort and sometimes they need courage sometimes they need you to give them hope about the future cuz hope's always tied to the future look at what look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 and then we're going to come right back and finish these couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 9 because it goes right with this point. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. Let me read it, these couple of verses to you in the King James and I want to read it to you in the Message Bible as well. For though I be free from all men, I'm free. Yet have I made myself servant unto all. That I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew. That I might gain the Jews. Wait a minute. The Jews. But they believed in the law. Paul set free from the law. The Jews had all these rules and religious ceremonies that you had to keep. And they, for goodness sake, they still believed in circumcision. Now, we know the truth. Paul said to the Jews, I became a Jew that I might gain the Jews. See, they were worth it. To them that are under the law. As under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. So when I prayed, I took my hat off. Not because I think it offended God or I had a problem, but because it may offend them. So what does it matter? Take it off. It's a rule that they have. It doesn't matter if I think it's ridiculous or not. Paul said, to the Jews, I became a Jew. So what? I followed their rules so that I could gain relationship. I didn't offend them. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, That I might gain the weak. You know anybody that's weak? I am made all things to all men that I might by all means serve, that I might by all means save some. You can't save them all. And you can't get discouraged and quit. When it seems like you lose one. There is salvation for all. But if you start thinking that it's all up to you and you're the only one that can save somebody, and that's what Pastor Bruce calls the Messiah complex, you're not him. You can't save everybody. You walk in obedience and you do your part. Sometimes you can't save them. You're not the one. Paul said, I do all this that I might by all means save some. Look at how the Message Bible words, those those same verses that we just read. Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people religious, non religious, meticulous, moralist, loose living, immoralist, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever, humans. Paul's like, don't matter. Good people, bad people, moral, not moral, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. That's empathy. Paul said, I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. From their vantage point, from from the way they see things, from their addiction, from their hurt, from their pain, from their disease, from... I entered their world to try to see things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is on my attempts to lead those I meet. You hear that? I've become every kind of servant in my attempts to lead. See, that's what godly leadership looks like. It looks like a servant. That's what Jesus looked like. That's what Paul looked like. Finding ways to serve people that they would receive. That's what Paul's saying of my God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Some people are okay with just talking about it. And they'll spend the rest of their life talking about it and say, I'm a Christian. I'm a leader. I'm. Paul said, I'm not okay with just talking about it. I want in on it. I mean, I want the relationships. Okay. I want the Jews. And I want the non-Jews. Got to step into someone else's shoes or world and see how you can serve them. That's what Paul was saying. That sounds a lot like grace. We talked last week about grace and that grace is enough, and Jesus is the personification of grace. Sounds a whole lot like grace. Okay, back to. Thessalonians 5. Let's finish up these few verses. Where are we at? Oh, I think we only read 14. 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Hear yeah, that to everybody, among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. And in everything, give thanks. In everything, not for everything. See, we, we can't thank God for everything. Sometimes some bad things come into our life, but we can thank God in everything. That's maturity, that's looking for God. And trust in Him so much that no matter how bad the situation is, I know He's going to come through. So I'm not thankful for what's going on, but I'm going to be thankful in it. In everything. Say, be thankful in everything. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I just don't know what God wants me to do. God, God, reveal your will. There it is in written form. In everything, give thanks. There's God's will for your life. Be grateful. Be thankful in everything. Quench not the Spirit. It's not a coincidence that that's the next verse. Quench not the Spirit because when you complain, you quench or you put out the Spirit. The Spirit, the breath. That God placed on the inside of you as a believer, His spirit's inside of you. That's a good way to put it out, is complaining. It's picking out the wrong and the negative. Why? It chokes out faith, it takes away your belief, it takes away your hope for the future. The spirit of gratitude is a spirit of generosity. Just like giving thanks can take you into the will of God, complaining can get you right out of it. I've seen people complain their way out of relationships, and churches, and jobs, marriages. There's power in your words, and you're training yourself what to look for. I heard a story about a dad on Christmas he had two boys and he says one of the boys was an extreme optimist he could find good in anything and was always happy and his other son was a pessimist boy he could find the bad and worry and stress and get upset in any situation so the dad Runs a little experiment and on Christmas night after both boys are asleep, dad goes into the pessimist room and he brings in a few thousand dollars worth of toys. And the newest, latest gadgets and electronics and the newest iPhone 57 XPR and all kind, everything that he could buy. And he stacks it all around the pessimist room, right? And he's like, now, what can I put in the other son's room? He's happy always. Ah. Goes down the road to a farm and goes in and talks to the guy at the stables. He says, sure, go ahead. So he gets a big load of horse poop. Brings it back and sneaks in and he piles it right in his son's bedroom. And he closes the door so that stench doesn't come down the hallway, right? He goes and gets in the bed. Next morning, dad gets up, knows the boys would be awake by now. They've had, had a few minutes, they've, they've been up. He hears them in there, comes walking down the hallway. And the first room he comes to is the pessimist. And he hears him in there complaining and crying, oh God, oh no. and he's like, what in the world? And I put about $2,000 worth of electronics and toys and all kind of stuff piled, packed it in his room. So the dad walks into his room and he's like, why are you upset? And he said, well... Now I have to read all these instruction manuals, and there's so many of them. Like, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to keep all this information straight. And all my friends are going to say that I'm the rich, spoiled kid, and they're probably not even going to be my friends anymore because I have all this stuff. And and now I don't even have batteries for over half of it. We don't have those batteries, so we're going to have to go buy batteries to try to put in this stuff. And my bedroom's not even big enough to put it all, so what is it supposed to just stay piled up on the floor and look like junk? dad's like wow dad walks out walks down the hallway and hears laughter coming from the other room and he's like what He walks over to the optimist's room and he opens up the door he said son what's going on and he said Merry Christmas dad and he's like why are you happy there's a big pile of horse poop in your room and he said, yeah, I know. <laughs> and where there's horse poop, there's a horse. Thanks, Dad. I've always wanted a horse. Now, where is it? I can't find it. Surrounded by poop. Stinking like crazy. The Father gave me poop. it been pretty easy to find the bad in that. And a lot of times in our life, we feel like, why do I get a pile, a pile of poop? When I got brothers and sisters and people I know that seem to be abundantly blessed. And on the other hand, I know people that have so many blessings. And all they could do is find problems with their blessings. I don't have enough batteries. Well, I don't know how I going to figure this out. I don't. So when I just told you that story, and I told you that the kid with the horse poop there in his room, and he said, thanks, Dad. The pessimist in this room, you just thought, what a dumb kid. And you feel like the other kid was logical, mature, intelligent. He thought it through. That is because you've trained your brain to cancel out all options of hope. See, you've trained your brain to find the negative, to find worry, to find stress, no matter what situation you're in. They did a bunch of studies. Um, You can go pull them up if you care to read about it. But they say that Americans are addicted to stress, worry. A high percentage of Americans, especially around this time of year, are addicted to stress and worry. Just like an alcoholic will go find a drink, no matter what they have to do to get that drink. They say that lots of people will find stress and worry, no matter what they have to do to get it. And they think it's horrible, but they're addicted to it. Much like any other addict. You know that's not what you want, but you can't break the pattern, the cycle. Don't be addicted to worry and stress this holiday season. You mask it with, or as I'm being prepared... Counting the cost. There's all different ways we can cover it up. But it's really just a lack of trust and faith. You don't trust the Father. Look at Luke. We're going to close. Last week we started talking a little bit about the prodigal son. 15 the Pharisees they wanted to know why Jesus hangs out with bad people why Jesus hangs out with sinners why why does Jesus hang out with people that aren't like us because we've got it all together we've got it right the Pharisees the ones with no empathy they wanted to know why was Jesus friends of them and it's a very famous passage of scripture. We know that Jesus starts telling stories, made up stories to prove his point. Jesus did that a lot. And Jesus starts telling stories about grace. He Tells a story about a shepherd that had a hundred sheep and one sheep got lost and he left the 99 to go after the one and they didn't get it. He tells about a woman that had some coins and she lost a coin and she cleaned the whole house and searched and she didn't quit looking until she found it. Till that which was lost was found and there was rejoicing and they still didn't get it. So then Jesus tells the story about the dad with the two sons, the older son and the younger son. We know him as the prodigal son. And Jesus tells us this story, tells them this story. That the younger son comes to the father and says, I want my inheritance. I want all of my inheritance. And and it wasn't just him asking for the money. It would be like him saying, Dad, I'm done with you. I can do it better on my own. I wish you were dead. Like, I don't need you. So the dad gives him. Funny thing is, I was going to read this, but I'll just tell you the story because we know the story. So let's just do this and we'll close. Um, Funny thing is, as I read over that story this week, I realized that the dad, see, I thought that the dad cashed out and gave the younger son his money. But if you go read it and look at it, it says he gave both of their sons their inheritance. Just one left and one stayed. But he gave them both the money. The younger son left and he went away and he wasted his money on crazy living and a wild life and away from the father, away from dad's table. He wasted everything that he had. Remember, Jesus is telling us what grace looks like, the father looks like. And he wasted it all and he ends up finally getting a job slopping pigs and The pig food starts to look good to him. Pig slop. The Bible says that he was looking at the pig food and he wanted to eat it. I got some pigs down the road and they eat some nasty stuff. In fact, it seems like the nastier it is, the more they like it. They'll eat some just disgusting stuff. He wanted to eat that pig slop. Why? His appetite... That's how hungry he got. If he would have gone to the pig pen as soon as he left the father's house, the pig food would have been disgusting to him. He wouldn't even think about putting that in his mouth. He could have gone all up in that pig pen. He could have been offered a plate of pig food. He would have said, Nope. I don't think so. I've been eating steak at dad's table. I'm a son. I don't eat pig food. You see, when Paul just told us what we just read, that Paul said, I became everything to everybody. I went into their world, but I stayed faithful to what I believe. I didn't sin, but I went into their world and didn't become them because he was satisfied and full from what the father had to offer. Well, that's disgusting. I I would never eat pig food. But now something that he would never touch before it starts to look good. Some of you would never have a one night stand. Never. That's disgusting. That's horrible. I would never do that. But because of your appetite and loneliness and not letting God fulfill you in your relationship with Him or with your spouse or whatever, you eventually. You get to a point to where something that used to disgust you now. It starts to look good. But I'd never drink enough until I passed out and. Wrecked my vehicle. But after your appetite and. Your stress, and you don't learn how to release the stress, and when you have a couple of things happening, you got a lot of pain, and you don't go to the Father, and you don't let Him feed you, and Him fill you, and Him heal you, then eventually something you would never think of doing, it starts to look good. The good news is that when he went home, he came to his senses, scripture tells us, and he turned his heart toward home and he went home. And we know the story that dad saw him coming from a long ways off. He didn't even make it all the way back home. And he prepared this speech, and he was going to tell his dad, like, I'm not good enough to be your son anymore. I just want to be a servant and come into your house, and I'll eat bologna sandwiches in the kitchen while I wash dishes. And he made up this great speech, and the father, like, ignored it and wouldn't even listen to it and took off running and met him. And the first thing the father said was, kill the fatted calf. My boy's hungry. But I've been fattening that thing, waiting on him to come home. That's Grace. He's been out building up an appetite on all kinds of things that I never planned for him, things that took him away from his purpose, things that are disgusting. Started looking good to him, but all the while I've been feeding this calf. I've been growing some steaks. Kill him. Grace has enough to feed you. I know you're hungry. Come home. The first sin was based around appetite. Remember Eve in the garden? Genesis three. And the serpent and the devil comes up to her and he's bringing her over to the tree. And Are you hungry? She said, God said we can't eat that fruit or touch it. And God didn't even say that. God just said they couldn't eat it. But she added that part about touch it. Maybe because she knew herself and she knew if she touched it, she'd end up eating it. But she said, God said, we can't eat it. And, and the devil tempted her. You'll be just like God. You'll have power. You'll know right from wrong. You'll know good from evil. And her hunger to be like God, her hunger for power, her appetite made her take it. The devil, that serpent, he knew how to get her. Got her on her own away from Adam, away from God, away. He slid up in her DMs however you want (laughs) to. Got that ear. It was around appetite. Remember when when Jesus got baptized and he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit came down like a dove and God says from heaven, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's my boy. Right after that, the Holy Spirit the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. He fasted for 40 days and the very first thing that he was tempted with, the very first thing that the devil hit him with was food. Make those stones into bread. And Jesus' answer was, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word or life. Life. That proceedeth from the mouth of God. But the word of God. He didn't say you can't have bread. He didn't say bread's a bad thing. He said you can't live by bread alone. It can't be your source. It's okay to have people in your life. It's okay to have things and stuff. and But it can't take the place. It can't be number one. Jesus said you can't live by bread alone. But it's okay to have some bread. It's okay to have some cheese and wine with that bread. But it can never become number one. We can't go through all of them because we're, we're over on time. But he also has enough to clothe you. You know, when that son came home, he said, fill the fatted calf. He said, bring the best robe. And he put sandals on his feet and he put a ring on his finger. But he said, bring the best robe. The best robe in that time would have belonged to the father. That robe would identify you as a son and not a servant. And the fact that you put sandals on his feet also said you're a son, not a servant. the father ran to him. In the garden when Adam and Eve felt shame and they were dirty and they disobeyed and they, they did wrong, remember what they did? They went and got some fig leaves and they sewed them together to try to cover up their mistakes, to try to cover up their private parts, to try to cover up the source of their guilt and shame. They sewed together fig leaves, fig of the looms, so they went up in Eve's secret and they got some fig of the looms and they put them on. Dad jokes. Preacher jokes. Jokes that make Jesse shake her head. <laughs> and when God looked at those fig leaves, he said, that's not going to work. I mean, those things are going to dry out and get crunchy and fall off in the day or two. so God killed a lamb blood was shed to cover as a picture of what would happen one day with Jesus what Christmas got started God made clothes to cover our shame when you get up and get dressed you cover up looking around this room we're all wearing different kinds of clothes but we're all wearing clothes Thank you. We cover up the parts of us that we don't want seen or the parts of us that would be inappropriate to be seen. We've all probably got different areas. We try to hide or we try to make them look better with clothes or. Oh, Brandon's not here today. There, They're out of town. But uh, he come into warrior training the other morning and he was wearing a softball shirt. And y'all know Brandon works out a lot. We'll see if he listens to the podcast, too. By talking about him, you know, he works out a lot. So he's got big old arms and chest. And uh, we were talking and something. He lifted up his arm to, and and Brad said, Hey, what's that under your arm? He's What? What's that? Um, so Brandon thought that Brad was saying he had big arms. So he got, like, real proud of that. He said, What is this? Uh, and he's flexing on him. And then... Brad pointed out that he had safety pins under here, pinning the sleeves so they would be tight on his arms and make his arms look bigger. You put the safety pin in your armpit and you tighten that sleeve down so it looks like you've been working out, like your arm's real big. And it was kind of mean of Brad to call him out like that, but now I say it in church and it goes on the internet or whatever, but... <laughs> clothing you ever seen somebody wear something too small that doesn't fit and they're trying to they're all standing up trying to pull down his shirt or pull down his shorts or it's too tight it doesn't fit it doesn't it doesn't look good it's, it's just awkward a like man just buy a couple sizes bigger your belly's hanging out from under that thing right like you're not as small as you were when you graduated high school this is a different kind of leadership sometimes people need instruction or warned or remember this isn't for all of you But some of you jump on up a size <laughs> you're a double XL now it's okay we love you but jump up a size thank you <laughs> I'm getting off track I need to wrap this up and let's get out of here the Father has enough to clothe you. And everything that you make to try to cover up your guilt and cover up your shame and make excuses for your nakedness and all that stuff, it, it's awkward. It doesn't work. It doesn't last. It's going to crumble like those leaves. It's going to look like the little too small shirt. It's not covering because your stuff's hanging out. As a robe for you. And the cool thing is, what I thought about this time when I read the story was that the father ran to meet him. He didn't even let him get to the house. And then out there while he was talking to him, ignored him and said, no, you're my son. He said, go kill the fatted calf and you go get the finest robe and bring it to me. And put it on him. Because I don't even want them to see how dirty he is. I'm going to cover you here and now. Dad, I I messed up. Dad, I wasted everything. I've made bad decisions. I've been hungry for nasty things. I've I've fed my addictions. I've done all. Father said, you're my son. Welcome home. We're about to party. Grace has enough to feed you and enough to clothe you. And empathy knows why you were in the pig pen. Empathy allows me to understand why the pig food looked good to you. Why you weren't clothed. And to see where you lost your identity. And to help you get back home. That's a good leader. So wherever you are, if you're the son or the leader. Or maybe you just need to work on empathy. Or maybe you're the the pessimist. It's addicted to stress. God sees you. He hears you. He knows you. And he's got clothes for you. The table is set. He gave you the gift of grace in the person of Jesus. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Romans 5 tells us that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. You know what that means? When you were at your worst, he died for you. When he was hanging on the cross, God took the worst thing you've ever done, the worst thought you've ever had. When you were at your worst, when you were abusing, when you were hurting, when you were think of the nastiest place you've ever been while you were yet sinners, while you were in the pig pen, He died for you. And if you think that you could take a scale like this, if I had a big giant scale, and I could take everything vile and nasty and dirty and everything wrong that's ever happened in your life and everything bad that's ever happened to you, and I could put it on one side of the scale, you would be found wanting But then God put grace on the other side of the scale. And if you think for one minute that you could possibly have ever been bad enough. That there could be anything that could outweigh the grace of our God. The unmerited favor. You are sadly mistaken. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the greatest gift that anyone's ever received. Thank you for grace in the person of Jesus. We receive your gift. We receive your grace. God, forgive us for the time that we've wasted. Running from you. Running from home building up an appetite for nasty stuff when you've got steak at home when you've got healthy relationship for us when when you've got clothes, when you've got an identity for us that says these are my sons, these are my daughters So, God, today, if we're wandering in any area of life, bring us back home. Draw us home. Remind us of your goodness this Christmas season. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for grace and mercy. Help us to give grace and mercy to other people. And, God, give us more and more empathy. God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. It's a scary prayer, but I'm praying it. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Let me see people the way you see people. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.